Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. finish up this series called Completely Covenant. This is our mission, vision, and values. Next week, we'll start a new series called Under Construction. Now we got mission, vision, and values. How is it going to construct? Amen? So let's finish up today with our mission, vision, and values, recognizing that God has called us as missionaries. Missionaries. Missionaries with heavenly resources to fulfill the mission He's given us according to Mark chapter 16. Here's what Mark chapter 16 tells us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in the midst of doing that, he said, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them. We shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That is what God's mission is for us. We've condensed that only to say this, that the mission of Covenant Fellowship Church is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone, everywhere. When we do that, what we want to see happen is for people to have an encounter with God. That's above all things, friends, we want you to have an encounter with God today. We want you to experience the love of God, and we want you to know that He has a place for you to serve in His kingdom. We want to be able to do that with embracing these very things as we go about doing what God's called us to do. We're going to be word-centered. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the word of God, the whole inerrant word of God, the complete gospel. Some says that it is the full gospel. That's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the Bible. We are word-centered. We are spirit-led. We're going to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? And, and as we're spirit-led, here's what else it says, that we're presence-driven. Amen? We're present. We want, we're driven by the presence of God because we know in His presence is fullness of joy. I know how your life can change right now. I know how your morning can be turned into dancing in his presence. That's how it will happen. Absolutely. That's everything that we do here in a passionate pursuit for God is so that his presence manifests in a tangible way that transforms your life. We're mission engaged. That means that we're putting our hands and feet to work and serve in the kingdom of God. We're family valued because we believe that no matter how large this church may ever grow one day, that everybody is part of of this family. You come here, we claim you as family. Well, I don't have it all together like this one does. That's all right. Everybody has that crazy uncle and we'll help you. Amen. (laughs) I don't mean to be insulting in any way. What I meant to say is that we're imperfect people among you, but we're serving a perfect God and we're moving from glory to glory. You know what? I ain't what I need to be, but I ain't what I used to be. Amen. Because God is doing a work in my life and he will yours as well. And we're, we embrace you as family. And today is worship focused. I want you to pray with me right now. And we're going to end with the very scripture that we started with. And almost every series we've done, we've started with this in Isaiah chapter number 60. But before we read it, I'm going to pray for you. Father, we're about to hear the word of the living God. Give us ears to hear. You said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
Lord, give us spiritual ears to hear what the word of the Lord is. Father, we pray that you would move us into this mission in a greater dimension than we've ever been before. Father, I pray that you would loose resources into our lives. I pray that you would loose purpose into our hearts. I pray that the passion of God and the zeal of the Lord would perform it, God. I'm reminded of all of those Old Testament prophets that would rise up and share your heart and then they would say, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Oh, let the zeal of the Lord rise up with inside of our hearts so that we passionately pursue this call and purpose of God on our lives. May we not be distracted. May we not be divided. May we not be conquered in anything because you've made us more than conquerors. May we not lay down and just give the enemy free reign. May we be reminded that we are victors and not victims. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. We are the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. And Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that your mercy was new this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you want to do something great today. Now I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive this word of the Lord today. And we receive it with gladness and joyfulness of heart in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Here's our scripture. You guys can almost quote it with me. Let's say it right now. It'll be on the screen for you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Stop right there for just a minute. I need you to point at your neighbor and let's start this over again. Start, just point at your neighbor right now. See, I'm talking to you. Say it with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. Uh huh. And his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light. That means unbelievers are coming to you. And kings to the brightness of your rising. That means favor. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons and daughters shall come from afar. How many of you know the prodigals are coming home? And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. They shall be discipled and fed. And your sons shall be be nursed. Let me back up. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side and your sons. And you shall see and be radiant. Did I miss something there? Let me back up. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart will swell with joy because the abundance of the sea. That doesn't mean the water. That means God's sea. That, you remember the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the water covers the sea. Anyway, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. So, friends, it's time to arise and shine. That means the shining that is upon our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said, our mission comes from Mark chapter 16, and I am going to repeat it, and I will repeat myself probably multiple times throughout my tenure as a pastor here because I feel like through this sabbatical in June, I got clarity from the Lord like I never have to be able to help us to navigate forward, that we're to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere, that we are missionaries sent from heaven, not because our our, our first citizenship was ever in heaven but because our citizenship now 
is in heaven because we have been reborn of a heavenly nature. Amen? Can you say amen to that? That's what the whole rebirthing is. We have heavenly resources to advance the kingdom in a significant way so that people will have an encounter with God. They'll experience His love and know that they have a purpose to serve in the kingdom of God. We said that this would create for us dynamic synergy, which means moving together. We believe that the Word of God is central to everything that we're supposed to do, that we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. For the Scripture says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God, that we're presence-driven because in His presence is fullness of joy and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it's the place we'll find ourselves throughout eternity, that we're mission-engaged because we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to do it. Amen? And we're not ju- and, and so we're doing it, we're going to value the family, and then we're going to worship God. Today I want to talk about uh, worship focused. I hope you get what I'm going to say and I'm going to teach a little bit. There's so much to say about worship. Our terminology sometimes has left us very confused about how we're to do things sometimes as it pertains to the church and mission. For instance, we say, I'm going to church today. Well, that's an impossibility. The reason it's an impossibility because the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means one's called out. The church is not this facility. The church is you. So how can you go to you? Huh? So, so you are the called out one. So when we say we're going to church, sometimes that can leave us a little bit confused because we think that we're going to church And what it means is that we're propping up the institution of church rather than we are the church and what we're supposed to be doing is kingdom operation. So what we tend to think of is I'm going to church today. I'm going, I want to go to church with you. Now again, I want to be careful with that because there's an importance of inviting someone to church because you're not going to change the nomenclature of a culture in a day. But the truth is, is that we, we didn't come to church, we are the church. So then what is this called? This is the assembly of the saints. You know what the assembly of the saints is for? For the meeting purpose to worship God. In fact, we call this a worship service, and that is actually right. It is a worship service. So here's what it should look like. We're, going, we're not going to church, we're going to meet with God. There's something very different. If we say we're going to church, then we think of how the operation of church goes. And the church, operation of church here goes like this. Well, they'll gather a little bit. The foyer's kind of big, so we'll be having coffee and we'll be able to fellowship and that sort of thing. And Kevin will start singing and he'll sing for a little while. And they usually sing about 45 minutes to an hour, so we really don't need to get there at 10 o'clock. We can get there about 10.30, 10.45. All of it's good, and I'm not here to fuss at you. I'm just saying to you how our minds process this thing. We process that we have time, we've got time, it's not a big deal, but the major thing is the word and while the word is important listen to me God says he's not looking for preachers he's looking for worshipers and when I preach what I'm trying to do is help you to become a better worshiper yeah that's my job today is to help you to become a better worshiper not me become a better preacher It's to help you to become a better worshiper. And so because we think of church in the way that we do, it sets us up to not be better worshipers, but to be religious churchgoers. And if we're not careful, we'll get into religious modism instead of the mindset of meeting with God. 
This whole thing is so that you will meet with your God. This is where heaven and earth converge again in a community group. This is where heaven kisses earth in a community way, in an impactful way, to engage the kingdom to go into a hopeless dark world and arise and shine and become radiant. That's what God wants to do. But because we think of it as church, we set ourselves up for failure. We go to church instead of meet with God. Or we manage our meeting with God. We manage it based upon our own personal thoughts, ideas, and passions. And we don't engage in all of the levels that we can meet with God. We don't engage in all the levels that we can become better worshipers. You understand, the whole idea of refreshments is not to get food in your belly and just give you a cup of coffee so you have to run to the bathroom five times during church services. The whole reason is there's a term in the scripture called koinonia. You know what koinonia is? It's fellowship among the brethren. It's inner, it's interaction among the brethren where you exchange life and you exchange information and you get closer and you share one another's hearts and you share one another's passions and you share one another's thoughts and you share one another's faith and that begins to build a synergy of connectivity among a community of believers. It's not so that you just have Food, although that can be part of it, food is important. But the Bible says you got your homes to eat in, huh? That's what the Bible says in First Corinthians. You got your homes to eat in because apparently in in Corinth, what they thought church service was about was everybody getting together and eating. And God saying there's more to it than eating. Yes, you should have food, and that's important. But it's not about the food; it's about the table. It's about setting down. It's about communication. It's about family. It's about interaction. And if we think of church as church, we set ourselves up for missing everything that God has for us today. And I don't know about you, but I want everything God has for me today. Uh, I believe I want everything that God has for me today. And it's not just in the sermon. It's in the conversation with you in the foyer. It's sharing a cup of coffee with you in the foyer. It's, it's coming in together and us corporately together lifting our hands. Sometimes it's me looking down and looking around and seeing somebody that I know is going through a hard time in life. But they got their hands up and their heart is open before God. And it's an encouragement to me. Oh God, I want to be a worshiper like that. God, I want to focus on you like that. I don't want to get lost in my own situation. I want to know you like that. And if we don't understand what this whole meeting thing is all about, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. We'll miss time with God. Now listen to me. Here's what we tend to do. We say, I'm not going to miss time with God because we have this independent spirit that makes us more like rebels and mavericks instead of family. Let me qualify that statement a little bit. So we say, you know what? I've got my own relationship with God, and that's true. I can pray before I come to church, and that's true. You can worship before you come to church, and that's true. You can spend time with God, and you should, and all of that is true. 
But God didn't just give us individual. He gave us individual and community. So here's what you need to be a better worshiper. You need time alone with God and you need time with the family of God. You need prayer closet time and you need assembly prayer time. You need worship time at home and you need worship time among the family of God. That's how you become better at being a worshiper in the things and the call in the community of God. You need it all. You want it, well, God, what am I missing in my life? I can maybe tell you, evaluate. Are you got personal time with God and corporate time with God? Because if you don't, you're going to be deficient somewhere. But what we tend to do is say either or instead of both and. I can do either this or that. And God looks at you and says, yes, and I can do either this or that. And, and the question is, is that, do, do you, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. Isn't that crazy that he said that about David? Wait a minute, this man, this man was not perfect by any means. Bro, he missed, he missed God in so many ways at so many times in his life. But if you read through some of his accounts, one, he knew how to repent. Huh? Psalm 51, he knew how to repent. He knew how to live at that place of repentance. But the second thing that he did is he learned how to get with God by himself. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And that was written about David's life. In that when David built, a, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into, uh, back into uh, uh, Jerusalem, one of the things that was said of his, he didn't build an elaborate thing, he just made a tent. And he set that thing on a hillside and he set the Ark of the Covenant there which represented the glory and the presence of God. And extra biblical writing says that David would go up to the Ark of the Covenant and while the sun was moving across, it would create the shadow much like my, my I could see my shadow on the ground right now. So right now, Noah and Miranda are in the shadow. The Bible says that, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That came from Him being up under the shadow of the glory of God. And as the shadow would move, as time would pass, He would stay under the shadow of the Almighty. And He recognized, if I abide here, I can say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my help, my God, in whom I trust. But you know what else David said? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He had that private time alone with God in a secret place where the glory of God was, but he also had that court thing going on. He said, if I'm planted in the house of God, I'll flourish in the courts of my God. He understood if I've done both of those things, that's, and God says, right there's a man after my own heart. He's not an either or guy. He's a both and guy. He's the one after my own heart. Does this make sense to you? So let me go a little farther if that's okay. Man, I knew if I started preaching this worship stuff, it's going to take, I, really, literally, this could be a year-long series on worship. And I'm not even kidding you. 52 weeks we could preach on worship. Uh, because if I understand the scripture, it is all about bringing us into the perfection of worshiping God. Mm. All right. So let's go to a passage of scripture real quick. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm going to try to move along here. Are you with me? We all good? Are you doing good? Say amen. If not, oh me. And we'll have an altar call right now. John chapter 4. 
Jesus goes to Samaria. There's so much behind that story because when he says this, he said, I need to go through Samaria. First off, you have to understand the, the racial divide that was happening among the Jews and the Samaritans in order to be able to grab that. But he said, I need to go through Samaria. And it's interesting to me the trek that Jesus took having been to Israel to be able to go to Samaria to meet with a woman at a well at a time that she was going to draw out some water. And here's where we are. We catch Jesus in the middle of that meeting once this woman recognizes after he says, hey, I've got some water that I'll give you that you'll never be thirsty again. She asks for him this water. And then when he begins to prophesy to her about her personal private life, she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. That's, what, that's where we pick this up. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Notice she's wanting the where. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming, uh, is coming when you will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem uh, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. So Jesus addresses, takes it from the where to the what. He said, you worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But he said this, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeking such to worship him. Remember, I said this a minute ago, he's not seeking preachers. Amen? God's not seeking, seeking preachers. Although he uses preaching, and although he calls preachers, what God is really after is worshipers. And here's what he says. He says, he said, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Greek word for worship, I'm not going to try to pronounce it to you. I listened to it three or four times and I've already forgotten how to pronounce it. I will spell it for you. It is P-R-O-S-K-Y-N-E-O. The word is translated worship. It means to do obeisance to. That means obey. It means to prostrate oneself before do reverence to, or welcome respectfully. And here she is. She, she says, hey, look, what you say that here's where you're supposed to worship, or the Jews say down in Jerusalem is where we're supposed to worship, and, you, and, we, and, and we say in these mountains where we're supposed to worship, Jesus begins to teach something. There's so much here, I won't have time to go into it, but I want to give you two aspects of what he reveals. He says, you got to worship in spirit and in truth. So what he does is he fixes some things for her very, very profoundly. He fixes some things for her. And I hope you get this, because God has called you to be a worshiper, friend. When God designed you, and I'm going to give you some quotes. Remember, I've been reading some quotes to you at the end of some of these things. And I'm going to give you some quotes today that, that hopefully some of the great men and women of God 
who have walked out this trail a little bit before us, uh, all the way back to the, the New Testament, will help us to understand that you were designed to worship God. Everything about you, everything about you was designed to worship God. Unfortunately, sometimes we take that, all the empowerment that God gave us, and we turn it into ourselves. So either we worship, worship ourselves, we worship culture, but what, no matter what it is, if you look at your life, you recognize that I was designed to worship. Some people worship food, some people worship relationships, some people worship all kinds of things. But if you look at your life, it is about doing obeisance to, obeying. It is about bowing down before. It is about preparing time for something or someone. And God says, I'm seeking people to worship me in spirit and in truth. That word seek there, I've told you before, it's frantically look. In fact, before, and, and the word seek is in different places. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word is the same. It's translated into seek, but sometimes um, we, we use the word seek in a subdued way. But the word in the scripture is not a subdued seeking like, you know, I'm seeking a better future for myself. And the Lord gave me a great illustration to understand seeking in the context with which it is meant in. I, I went back to when my son was small and we were in uh, Walmart. And when we were in Walmart, I remember one time looking on the shelves and he was right there with me. He was right by my side. And I get my attention upon the shelves and what's going on, you know, looking for whatever I'm looking for. And what happens is that he wanders off. Now, it was during the time that some things were being posted on, I don't remember if it was being posted on social media, but things were being said among people that, you know, so, some folks had attempted to abduct some children at the, the north side of Bristol Walmart. And, uh, and so, man, you know, we was kind of on high alert. And so you kind of hear that. And he was right beside of me. And, yeah, I should have had him in a buggy. Man, I think of all the mistakes that I made with my kids. Ran over my daughter with a lawnmower one time. Thought I cut her leg off. Terrible, man. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Riding lawnmower. Holy cow, that was so scary. Let my son fall in the lake without a life jacket on at 11 o'clock at night and no lights around. Stupid. This is another one of those, you know. I should have had him in the buggy, but he was right there beside of me. Y'all pray for me. I had him right there beside of me. Turned my attention toward the, the stuff that I was looking at, probably hunting or fishing something. I turn around and he's not there. Now he's just a little boy. Listen to me. I didn't just seek him out. I frantically looked for my boy. It, that feeling of like, oh, where's he at? He was just right here. Am I a victim of one of those that just took my kid? So, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't, oh, where's Tanner at? I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, alert is going off. I'm trying to find him. I want to know where he's at. Frantic God is looking. The Bible says in Chronicles that his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is perfected toward him. And worship is that heart perfection toward the almighty God. And what he says is that he's frantically looking, frantically looking. 
He's looking all across and he will be to find people to show himself strong on behalf if he can find a group of people that will worship him. And so here's what the issue is. He's, he, he, he says, I want you to worship. God's frantically looking for somebody that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. I don't have time to take these all the way down in an exegetical way all the way to its bottom floor. So I want to just d- dive in for a little bit with just these two major ways. And I want to elevate this in some way that maybe you can grab hold of very quickly. Let me just put it this way. If you're going to worship in spirit, that is first having the internal construct to worship God. In other words, to worship in spirit means that the spirit of God is working inside of you and doing something inside of you to shift the inner focus of all that you are Godward. It's the Holy Spirit showing forth the goodness of God, the love of Jesus, the conviction of God, all of it, so that our internal intention and our internal desire and our internal focus is to worship Almighty God. It means that the Spirit of God is working inside of us, shifting everything that needs to be shifted continually so that we have the capacity to worship this God. So, so here she is. She says she, she, she's doing this thing and uh, she, she's, she's like, uh, you know, you, you say this is uh, where we're supposed to worship. The Jews say that in Jerusalem is where we're supposed to worship. Our fathers say here, and he said it's not about the where. Now, you understand something. I've been trying to teach you that God is everywhere, but he's somewhere, meaning there's a manifest presence of God. And I believe in the manifest presence of God. And we, I believe, ought to pursue the manifest presence of God. But I also want you to grasp the understanding in terms of worship that the whole where thing, it's not, it's, it's not just a, a place focus. Yes, we know that there were significant places where God encountered people in the Old Testament and they set up memorials there and they set up altars there and they set up different things there and God gave them instruction to. But all of that foreshadows a moment to understand the full-on act of worship and what the memorial looks like has been given to us in communion. Communion is really our memorial. Remember Jesus said, Scripture says, Paul said, as often as you do this, you're going to do this in remembrance of the Lord. Jesus said that at the Last Supper. This is, this is the thing that you set up. This is what you need to remember. In other words, it's not just coming back to a where. Now, I know it's important to come back to a where where you've encountered God. Uh, and I know those places are important at times. But sometimes we get so where focused that we can't even encounter God somewhere else. Because this church isn't like the last one. And this preacher doesn't preach like that one. And this is not like where I come from. This is not how I was raised. And this is not what I look to. And sometimes we fail to focus and perfect worship. Because we're focused on the where. And so was she. She's focused on the where. And Jesus shifts that for us. It's not so much about the where. And he gives her some instruction that I think is profound. So he says, so when he begins to give this to her, they begin to have this exchange about worship. He talks about spirit and in truth, and I believe that it's extremely important to, to take the heart and focus at God's word. Isaiah 29 and 13 says, Therefore, 
The Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths, and they do honor me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me. And I, believe it's, I believe it's possible to sing the songs and not be worshiping. I believe it's possible to be doing the serving and not be worshiping. Yeah, I believe servants are, are if you do service to the Lord, it is worship. But I believe it's possible to be doing service and it's not an act of worship at all. Or if it is an act of worship, it's to be seen. It's to give, you know, you want the position, you want the, you want the place, you want the renown, you want the glory that goes with it from man. And I believe that worship, worship needs to be from the heart in a way. And that's, that's not all that it is because I can show you multiple, multiple places in Scripture where worship is expressive. Here's what we do. We call praise and worship time and we've divided praise and worship. And what we mean by that is fast songs and slow songs. But did you know the fast songs is worship as well? Did you know celebration God counts as worship? Because it's giving obeisance to. It is giving honor to. It is showing forth His praise. It's showing forth His goodness. And God says, that's what worship really is. And so, but, but I know it's on that level and it's on the serving level. But first, we've got to take care of the internal. We've got to take care of the internal. Because I believe that we can be serving but begrudging the fact that we had to show up. I believe that we, you know, we, we, can, we can have a job in the church to do. We can have a job to do that, our, that is our calling and sometimes be begrudging the fact that it costs as much as it does. Time, talent, treasure. And, and we can begrudge that and hate that we had to get up and come in in a sourpuss attitude. Can I say that in church? Yeah, come in a sour attitude. Come in and, and God says, you know what? You did a lot today, but that wasn't even worship. You did a lot today, you accomplished a lot today, but you didn't even worship me. And the reason is, is because God's saying, I, I do take a look at the heart. I look, the Bible says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. You know what that says? Hey, look, God says, I'm going to give you the, the, the good of the land, but two things has to come into play, willingness and obedience. God says obedience is not just the act, it's the heart that says it. And Jesus tells a, par a parable about it. Jesus told a parable about a man who begrudged having to go out and do the work and, and the, the person that was willing to do it and didn't even get it all done. And, and the disciples was really questioning, okay, who, which one of here really got it done? Which one got the will of the Father done? And he said, actually the one who was willing to do it but didn't get it all done. Because he put his hand to it and he put his heart to it but he didn't complete it all. But the other one put his hand to it all, but didn't put his heart to it all, and he doesn't go down justified at all. That's good. That's good. So, so, so worship is a powerful thing. It's about the demonstration of our lives. That's why it's called worship. The English word, this, this, this Greek word that's translated to worship is a word of highest value, of highest order. I can't tell you how high the word worship is. As it pertains, and Bible translators moving this into the realm of from, from Greek to Latin to English is a word to, to bring it to worship. Again, we do things so terrible sometimes that make us miss the power of the word. Again, we relate it to a slow song. And the word worship is the English word made of worth, the highest value. 
What is of the greatest worth? In fact, the word worship, English word worship, is the ownership of worth. Who deserves the greatest worth? And as Christians, we say, here's who deserves the greatest worth. It is Almighty God. And you should see that by the way that I process, by my attitude, by the, how I sing, how I celebrate, how I give, how I serve, you should, how I treat my wife, how I treat my husband, how I treat my kids, how I treat my life, how I look at other people, how I treat other people, how I talk to other people. You should be able to see that I worship God through everything that I am because I'm offering to him highest worth. Yeah. We want to be worship-focused, man. We want to be worship-focused because if we're not worship-focused, we'll be church-focused. And if we're church-focused, you know what we get caught up in? Covenant Fellowship Church. And I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful, some would call it our brand, and it's all important, but I'm telling you, we're seeking to serve God because we believe that He's worth it. It's not because we're trying to raise the name of a church. It's not because we're trying to fill pews. It's not because we're trying to build buildings. It's because He's worth it all, man. He's worth it all. He's worth every bit of it. He's not worth even, listen to me, listen to me. He's not even just worth 10% on every given week. He's worth everything. He's just so good that he gives me 90% to do my life with. Huh? If you see tithing as 10% and that alone, you missed it. He's 100% worth every bit of it. And tithing is the reality that he says, I'll only keep 10%, but I'll give you 90% of it back. Woo! See, we look at it different if we say, well, I'm going to give my 10% to God. That means 90% we thinking of ourselves. But if you have a different worship focus, you say, it 100% belongs to God. And I love him so much. He can, he's worth it all. But he loves me so much that he says, I'm going to give you 90% of it back. There's, a to, there's this total different mind shift in that. There, there's something so different in that way of thinking. That, that means that if God, if, if, if God says he wants you to give sister so-and-so 100 bucks today, you don't have to worry about uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? What am I going to do for the rest of my week? So sorry. And 100% of it belongs to God. If he wants to give me, wants me to give sister so-and-so 100 bucks, I'm going to give sister so-and-so 100 bucks. But I worship him and I trust him. And I know that if I give somebody 100 bucks, he's going to bless me more than I could ever imagine back. It's worship, friend. It's worship. And he's looking at the heart. So I believe when he's looking at the heart, I, say, I think there's some things that we can do, especially as it pertains to the assembly of the people together. And that is if that we're supposed to be having a meeting with God to show him our worth and value, that we show up with a smile on our face on time with great expectation, anticipation, and great gratitude because God's about to do something. I'm meeting with him. It's interesting. My overseer will call me to Roanoke from time to time for a meeting. And you know what I do with that time slot? Man, I, I, I mark it out in my calendar. I got to go to Roanoke for a specific period of time because he's my leader. You know what I'm saying? And I have to rearrange schedule and I have to rearrange time and I have to do whatever I need to do to be able to make that happen. Now again, when I'm about to say what I'm about to say, the rebels will start thinking. But I'm going to say it this way, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear my heart. 
what will begin to happen is that we'll have a specific meeting time here that we say we believe that God inhabits the praise time of his people. And it, it's almost a take it or leave it mentality. I tell you how this church will move into a, another level of the glory of God and be able to be radiant like never before when it's the anticipation, when it's when it's when it's the prep time that went in for that. And, and you've done that today. I'm not I'm not coming down on you. Please don't think that of me. I'm trying to give you a good perspective so that you don't fall into the American religious ideas of stepping into this is church. No, this is the assembly of the saints to worship the living God. Now you can use the nomenclature of we're going to church if that you understand the importance of what it means. Because I don't believe God gets tied up in the name of it. I believe he gets I believe he looks at the heart of it. And when he's looking at the heart of it, do we put him first really? Do we put him first really? The second thing he says is in truth. It's having a proper perspective of God. What has been true about him, what is true about him now, and what will always be true about him. That is the basis through which we access the depth of worship. In other words, we can dance. Amen. But come on, man, you can dance to rap music if you want to. You can dance, you can flat foot to country music if you want to. Or no, it's probably not country music. You can cry to country music. You can you can flat foot to bluegrass music. You, you can do all your thing to different music. But but you know what? Worship, wor- worship, worship is a demonstration of a practice of value to a God who makes your heart glad. If 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 I could I got one. I got one, thank you. If, if I could, listen, if I could, if I could impart something into your heart, if I could impart something, just impart something into your heart that will help you. Because David is pointed to as one of these great men who was so profoundly used and a man after God's own heart type guy one of the big things about his life is not so much his conquest or his expansion of Jerusalem. One of the things that we draw from the most is the songs that he wrote. The book of Psalms is actually songs that David wrote. We draw so much from them. Most worship music of today will have lines from the Psalms in them because they're, they're beautiful, they're powerful, they're awesome. But one thing's about his life, about that, if you, if you look at David's life, man, he was one of these guys who, even though he was royal, he, he was willing to celebrate all that it took to bring glory to God. You all remember when he brings the Ark of the Covenant back in? The Bible says he would, he would take six paces and he would dance before the Lord. Six paces, offer sacrifices, dance before the Lord. Six more paces, offer sacrifices, dance before the Lord. I don't have time to break all that down for you, but simply put is that God, David had a chance to bring that which represented the glory of God back to Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant. And when he goes and gets it and brings it back, he makes a mistake with it first, but then he gets it right. He gets it right, but to make sure that he's demonstrating worship and value and heart toward God, Instead of just carrying it on back to Jerusalem, he, they will take six paces, stop, sacrifice, and then, and then take six more. But what happens is when he gets to the border of Jeru- Jerusalem, when he's, bringing that, when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, the Bible says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. 
meaning somewhere inside of his heart. I used to hear classical Pentecostals say, well, you don't dance until the Spirit moves upon you. Listen to me. When you understand how good God is, the Spirit will always be upon you to give God a praise. So, so David danced with all of his might before the Lord. But here's the thing I want you to catch. His wife criticized him. His wife criticized him. The Bible says she criticized him. She spoke against him. Spoke about how he was doing that. She said, she was insinuating that the only reason he was doing it was that he could be seen of the maidens of Israel. And he's like, no, that's not what this is about. And he said, if this bothers you, I'm going to get even more undignified than this. Because he had taken off of his, his kingly robe. He had on just a regular linen ephod. And he was dancing around before the Lord. And what she would rather him do is look more dignified, have his kingly robe on and be all put together. And he says, when the glory of God is present, I could care less about title. I could care less about how much we are to appear towards each other. I want to celebrate the fact that the glory of God is here. That's what I want to celebrate. And I'm telling you, when we get to the place that what we're willing to celebrate is the glory of God and we're willing to lose ourselves in that very moment, and I'm not trying to get a bunch of wild animals here. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. What I am trying to say, though, is this, is that when we are more concerned about what people think about us and what people are looking at in us rather than the glory of God, we got problems. We've got problems. We, we, now we're, we're worshiping something, but probably not... Mm. God is looking, he's frantically looking, not for preachers, not for scripture quoters, not for happy people, not for funny people, not for gifted people, but for worshipers. And here's what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And, 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 and listen, here's an, I, I looked this up in so many translations, but I want you to hear this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And, we, and the, some says, which is your uh, uh, reasonable act of service. But here's this one, these several translations. Translated, I believe, accurately. It says that holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. In other words, my body is my demonstration of worship. And as, as worship is something that is expected, Revelation 4, 8 says, listen, the four living creatures, talking about angels in heaven, when John seen into the, and peered into the heavens, said the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around within. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Listen, whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits upon the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before Him who sit on the throne and worshiped Him who lives forever and cast their crowns before Him, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. In other words, if heaven has a demonstration of the glory of God, how much more should we have a demonstration of the worship to the glory for the glory of God? I've got so much that I could say about worship right now, but I want to share with you some of the deepest senses of my heart as I say to you that we want to be a worship-focused church. For many years now, um, there's been many prophetic words spoken over my life and ministry. 
I always believe that that carries to the body because I don't do this for, my, for myself. I don't need to feel important, man. Let me tell you something. If, if, if I, and this does, I hope this don't sound like I devalue what I'm doing because I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if it were left up to me, if it were left up to me alone, if I could just decide, I wouldn't need to stand on the stage anywhere. I could hold up the hands of anybody else and I'd, I'd be fine just, just doing that. That's, that's been my heart from the very beginning. But God has opened a door for me to do what I'm doing. And I just believe that he has destiny on my life. And because I'm doing it and you are a part of that, you get to go on the journey with me. But I've heard many times of the things spoken over my, my, my life and, and, and what that entails. Just recently in our weekend of freedom, a prophetic word was spoken over my life. And, I've, and, I, and I said literally when I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, I've heard this multiple times now. And I ask for wisdom to be able to get in the, the proper position to see this happen. And I also say, Lord, for your glory alone, I want to see this happen. I want to see the, the extraordinary. I believe that God has a significant calling upon this body. I told you that when I come back from the sabbatical in June. The overwhelming sense of the fact that God has so much. But here's, here's, here's the truth. I believe that the way to shift into that is that if we who are here understand our role as worshipers. And I know that sounds, because I, I could say if we understand our role as servants. And if today was a big drive to get you into serving. But I think you got to drill it down deeper than just serving. you got to understand that serving is an outlet of worship. If all you can do is cry in slow songs, it's powerful and it's profound. But you're only scratching the surface of worship. When you can gird yourself with a towel and bow down at some dirty feet like Jesus did. And I'm not trying to advocate foot washing here. What I'm saying is the demonstration of serving. When we as a congregation understand that what we're doing here, every bit of it is for the worship and the glory of God. I believe we'll step into the greater of what's in front of us. I believe then and only then can we actually become radiant. I've preached multiple times from Acts chapter 16. It's a powerful story. You can go ahead and stand with me. Band members, you can come back. Acts chapter 16 is a powerful story. Man, it's so powerful. It's the story of Paul and Silas. Y'all know this story. Many of you who know the Bible know this story of Paul and Silas. It's the time that they are beaten and they're cast in the inner prison. And I've preached it as high as we could with organs blaring and shouting and at midnight. When your darkest hour comes at midnight. But I want to impart to you not in the, not in the passion of a moment but in the seriousness of a moment the reality of what happened as it results into this Philippian jailer 
all of the prisoners and his entire household having an encounter with God was two people who had been beaten and imprisoned. What came to their heart when they're locked together at a dark place is, hey, I know, let's worship God. Friend, you've got to be a sold-out, committed worshiper to have had suffered the beatings that they suffered, the abuse that they suffered, the imprisonment that they were in, to have the first initial thought, I know what to do, let's worship God. Because you know what I would want to do? I'd want to complain. Wouldn't you? Man, if this is God, how do I wind up here? I'd want to complain against leadership. If I was Silas, can you imagine following Paul? Okay, Paul's the leader here. You know what he does? He has a dream the night before. Hey, I dreamed that a man from this area, I dreamed this last night, a man from this area said, hey, come over here and help us. And that's where we're going to go. And so that's where they go. And while there, while doing ministry there, they get beaten and thrown in an inner prison. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I could only imagine. Because sometimes we go in directions, make decisions prayerfully that we believe it's God. And ultimately, without suffering anything but a little disappointment that it didn't go your way. Somebody starts complaining and want to leave. Listen to me, friends. This is not my ploy to get you to stay. Here's my ploy. To get you to go deeper in worship. Because you're always going to face things. Difficulties going to come. And you're, we're not always going to agree on every little I and T. But I'm telling you, I promise you. I promise you. That if you develop in worship, you'll find that God will give you the strength to walk through some things and deal with stuff to get to a greater glory. Listen to me. If they, if they break out in that jail cell in an argument and in a fight, we don't read about the prison doors getting open. We don't read the story along about midnight, the power of God shakes the place. We don't read about the night that he stopped that Philippian jailer from committing suicide. We don't read about that Philippian jailer's family getting born again. We don't read about a move of God that happened in Philippi that now you and I get to look at a church in Philippi and read the deep theological things that come from the book of Philippians. We don't get to know any of that stuff. How it happens is because a man, here's a dream, has a dream of a fellow saying, come over here and help us. I personally believe it was that Philippian jailer. I personally believe that Philippian jailer was at some time, my God, I don't know if you're real. God, I don't know if you really exist. I don't want to be a jail keeper my whole life. My marriage is... Something was happening in this guy's life. He is at a low place and man, he recognized... He was on some, some tyrannical leadership because he knew that night when those prison doors opened, he was going to lose his life if he didn't take it. So pretty much he probably hated his job. Life was terrible for him, but listen to me. I, I personally believe that was, that was him maybe crying out and God says, okay, I'm going to give a drink to a man that's tuned into the Spirit. And I want him to come over here. And in his missionary journey, boom, he has to go to Philippi. 
and we read the rest of the story in Acts 16. It's powerful, it's profound. But I believe it all hinges on some people that's willing to worship God. Let me give you some quotes here and then I'm going to let you go. This one's from Don McMinn. Our entire being is fashioned as an instrument of praise. Just as a master violin maker designed an instrument to produce a maximum a maximum aesthetic result, so God tailor made our bodies, soul and spirit to work together and in conscience to produce pleasing expression of praise and worship when we use body language to express praise that which is internal becomes visible let me make break this down Tim Hughes says worship must be Christ centered spirit led a response to the father about intimacy and service and always leads always lead to transformation Joseph Gerlington said true worship true spiritual worship cause God Almighty to come and sit with you and he is enthroned in the midst of your praises never forget that the great A.W. Tozer said I can safely say this is profound listen to this A.W. Tozer said I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship and praise is not ready for heaven Man, that was so heavy. Lamar Boschman said, I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and being and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude. Plot along through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. Here's another one. Don't let, let life affect your worship. Let your worship affect your life. The great Jack Hayford said worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one that he worships here's another one worship doesn't happen when a guy gets on a stage with a guitar it happens when faith filled eyes behold the glory of the living Christ Bill Johnson says if worship leaders only worship when they lead they're not worshipers at all they're mere musicians I want to go back to that statement of A.W. Tozer as we get ready for an altar time and a closing to this series. Yet we'll open it in a different way a little later on. I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on earth who is bored and turned off by worship and praise is not ready for heaven. Man, we're not trying to entertain people by the coolness of the song. Songs are powerful.
Man, they're so powerful. What we want to see happen is you worship the living God. For you to have an encounter with God. I personally believe if you have an encounter with God, something leaps on the inside of you. I believe the Holy Spirit still does what He always does is that He, he, he plants a seed of something incredible inside of you. Kind of like Mary. What was planted inside of her was Jesus. I, I, I just believe that it's impossible to get a clear picture of God and not want to worship Him. I believe if anything makes you run away from it, it is a very, very skewed picture of who God is. But I'm telling you, in worship is where you'll find your destiny. Man, when you authentically get just your heart open as wide as it can be and your life open and all of the possibilities of God, there you'll find your purpose. If you ever walk away from that, you'll search a thousand places trying to refill it again with a thousand other things that will never satisfy. When you found your identity at a throne room with worshiping God, it's something like I think it's the closest to heaven you'll get and not being there yet in that open place of worship. And if all, listen, what we want to do is build a house of worship. If we're worshiping in that worship, there'll be prayer time. Yes, I know that. Because I personally believe that worship at its highest time is when we get to that place of prayer and singing from your heart yourself. I want to try to help guide our band even more toward prophetic worship later on. And I'm going to tell you what that is. I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm talking about that space between two songs. I'm talking about that space when Kevin's instructions stop and the song of the Lord begins to unveil. When this band understands no how to build that, work with that. I, I illustrate it like this. It's like a cup being poured out. And, 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 and as the song is moving us to open our hearts toward the Lord, I'm talking about till the last, we're not transitioning on till the last drop falls out of the cup. Because it's not about getting through the set, it's about you encountering your God. It may never get a past the first song, but it'll bring a glory that'll set upon you. And every preached word that I give, my heart's cry. Man, I hope they learn better, deeper. We all together, how to worship God better and better. Worship Him in what I do, how I respond, how I treat people, how I sing, how I, how I serve. I want to worship God. This house be a worship focused house it's interesting we use the word focus you ever seen something out of focus you get a you get an outline of what it should look like but you can't get the clear distinction of what you're looking at something's out of focus it's blurry 
don't make sense. Does it say this or does it say that? Does it look like this or does it look like that? But worship focus means we're bringing it in, dialing it in to where what we see every single week is Jesus Christ and Him lifted high. What we put our emphasis on every week is our meeting with Jesus. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60 verse 1, we hope you arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.